God on this the Remembrance Day and a Remembrance Service as we think about those who have given their lives that we might enjoy our freedoms. We're going to sing together 752, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. the congregation to remain standing please we'll have a minute's silence as we who are left grow old 
Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. Almighty God and gracious, loving Father, we come to the house of God this day on Remembrance Sunday. <coughs> we enter your presence and your courts through the all-precious and exalted name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to worship our God today. We seek to do that, as the Scripture says, in the beauty of holiness and in spirit and in truth. We come standing upon the only grounds of acceptance, which is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grounds of atonement. We come pleading the name of our dear Savior, that name that is high and lifted up. We come on this Remembrance Sunday to call to mind those who indeed gave their lives for our civil and religious freedoms. We thank you that thou art still our God, the God in ages past and our hope for years to come. We thank you for victories that have been achieved to preserve the liberties that we enjoy. And Lord, we remember those who gave their lives, paid the ultimate sacrifice. We are not unmindful of them today. We think of recent conflicts and wars. Lord, we know that these things have touched all of our lives, for we have all friends and families who have been affected. Some have died, some have been injured, some have been caught up in atrocities of one kind or another. We think today of the ongoing war in Ukraine, and we feel for our brethren and sisters here who worship with us on a Sabbath day that you will remember their land and remember the nation and give wisdom to those who are in high places. And again, we pray that soon this war will come to an end. We remember indeed those who are fighting today in the land of Israel. And we think of the conflict there, your ancient people and the oppression and all that was done by terrorism. Lord, we pray that you will bring victory, that you will indeed protect your ancient people. And more than anything, we pray for light and understanding to be brought to them. We know that the veil is across their eyes and their hearts are hardened when it comes to Christ. But we do believe that our promises in your word for that people whom you chose above all people in this earth. And we know that salvation was to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so we pray that even in conflict that there will be those who will come to an understanding of the gospel because there are those who are faithful and there are missionaries and preachers there. We think of the Messianic Jews and Lord, just open the eyes of these blinded people at this time through the witness that is given. Bless this day to us. We thank you for it, for all that has gone before in Sunday school and Bible class, for all that will happen tonight in our special remembrance service. Lord, visit us with your presence. Visit us with your power. 
Grant us, Lord, the ministry of the Holy Spirit throughout this meeting and later on tonight. Lord, we pray that you will come and abide with us this day. Give us a day to remember when the Lord came, when the Lord spoke to our hearts, when he opened up his word and made it a blessing and a challenge to us, when changes were made. And Lord, we, we all need daily changes. We need that work of divine grace every day that will enable us to live for your glory, bringing about that great work of sanctification, causing us to die to self and to sin and to live unto righteousness and unto the glory of God. Lord, may it be so. Bless this church today and the people that worship here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our psalm for today, and we're going to read this psalm together, and then we're actually going to sing uh, some of the verses. Let us hear God's word. This is the one that we come to in the natural order of reading the psalms together, and it is a tremendous one how often we have read this for our own comfort and our consolation. How often we have opened up God's Word at this very portion of Scripture when visiting in homes where there are needs and sitting at hospital beds, going into situations of trouble and turmoil. Because the psalmist speaks here about great commotions happening, like an earthquake, the earth being removed and the mountains being carried into the midst of the sea. And yet in the midst of it all, God is still the refuge of His people, and He's still our strength. God is our refuge and strength, very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen and the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah and Amen. We're going to sing some of these verses together, one to five, and the final two verses. God is our refuge and our strength and straits are present aid. Therefore, although the earth remove, we will not be afraid. Let's sing of the words as we worship the Lord. <laughs> That's all rise to sing. 
may be seated. Good to have you in God's house today. We welcome you in the Savior's name. And those that are joining us on the internet, we trust that you'll be blessed at home. We have our remembrance service tonight on our wreath-laying ceremony. That's at 7 o'clock. I'll be here to preach, God willing. And ladies, if I can just make this appeal again to you uh, to provide that which is needed to eat tonight at supper, three quarters of a loaf of sandwiches and one and a half dozen buns. This is circulated, and just for a final time to tell you to get it out there, invite your friends, your family, your neighbors in, if you can do that, please. I've been asked to mention that those that are laying wreaths tonight are requested to come to the church hall at 6.30. There's a little bit of arranging to do and to make sure everybody knows what's happening in the order that they're in. On Monday morning, the toddlers, we haven't got this in, but the toddlers are meeting tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, and tomorrow night is the monthly Sunday school teachers' prayer meeting at 8. Tuesday, regarding the school's ministry, it's the William Pinkerton Memorial Primary School that we hope to be in, God willing. Then Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night, it's the Hebron Ladies' Fellowship, the soloist is Sarah Watterson. The testimony is Janice Davison. And we're encouraging you ladies to invite your friends in. Thursday night, the midweek service at 8 o'clock. And we want to continue thinking about the Lord's servant, Dr. Bill Woods. And we will have the DVD presentation of that special prayer for our children's work. That's the night that we give over for that. On Friday night, the Youth Fellowship will meet at 8 o'clock. Chris Killen, missionary to the drug addicts and those that are in great need in this province, will be speaking. Saturday morning is the open air in the center of the town at 11 o'clock. There's also for our elders a presbytery time of prayer from 10.30 to 12.30. And that is with respect to the uh, Whitfield College of the Bible and and its future, and the new premises, and so forth. Then next Lord's Day, the prayer meeting, 8 o'clock, Sunday school, 10.30. And could I mention that it's a special one. It's a bring-a-friend day, and so therefore there's some special things for the children to eat. There's cookies and donuts for everyone. Everyone includes everyone that comes. So there is an invitation. Anybody who wants that to come next Sunday morning. And these little invitations that you see here have been prepared for the children. Each child in Sunday school got four of these to give out to their friends. So just maybe to remind parents that they have them in case the children forget about them and to invite others along. If you need more, there is a supply on the table as you leave. Let's be in prayer. These are outreach times. We're seeking to get young people in, children in under the sound of the word. Bible classes at a quarter to 11. The subject, of course, is pilgrim's problems this month, and uh, smitten with loss and grief is the title of the message. Worship service is 12 noon. The gospel meeting is at 7. And then the next night, which is tomorrow week, Monday night, the 20th of November, the election of elders. And we're seeking, by the grace of God, to elect two and new elders into the congregation here at Hebron. To that end, a list of community members 
who are eligible to vote has been posted on the notice board and a list of men eligible to be voted for is also there. We've been asking you these weeks to make sure your name is on it and uh, just to check the list. If you have any queries, please see me. If there are any men wishing to withdraw their name, uh, that needs to be attended to. We're asking you to do that by this morning, if at all possible. Can I mention the Christmas dinner? Christmas dinner in the will of God this year will be in the Lodge Hotel on Wednesday night, the 20th of December, 6.30 for 7. And that's the menu that you see there. Um, just to remind you that the price is £25 per person. This is an excellent price. You'll be paying much more than that in most hotels these days. And uh, for children, it's £12 per child for a small dinner. Uh, that's for 12 and under. And for those really small children, you can have off the children's menu. That's like sausages or chicken bites or whatever. And that is £6. Our Hebron senior citizens go free. So if you fall into that category, you're part of the church here and you're an older person, you will go free of charge. And the youth fellowship members, the youth fellowship on a Friday night, it's half price for them. We're going to ask you to put your name on the list from next week onwards. We just need time to get the list uh, finalized and the sheets out of the door, but that will be for next week. This is it in a language that I don't understand, but I hope it's translated for you uh, and that it's, it's accurate enough. If you have any questions, you can ask me about it. And just while our Ukrainian friends are reading that, um, I was told today that Norma Damnopoulos has a very special birthday. Um, be it far from me, as I say, to mention the lady's age, but she's reached one of those you know, the significant birthdays that we talk about. And um, we just want to acknowledge that, wish her well, and trust that she knows the blessing of the Lord. Can I mention the Let the Bible Speak calendars for 2024? They are available. They're at the door. The price is £4 per calendar. All the proceeds go to the ministry of Let the Bible Speak. The Vision magazine is also available, and you can have that as you leave. We want every family to avail themselves of the opportunity to take this copy. These are paid for by the church, and we want them to go into the homes of our people. Can I sincerely thank the work team that came in yesterday and uh, came to the church? I didn't get meeting them. We uh, were attending the funeral of Dr. Bill Woods yesterday, so we were not able to be with you. But you did a great work, and Erwin very kindly supplied some of the, the photographs just showing you that work was done here and we thank you in the Lord's great name. There's a young couple sitting here in the church today, and their names are Matt and Isabel. Make sure and get the surname correct. It's Peyton, not Patton. We've been calling them Patton for a long time, but it's Peyton, just one T. And uh, they have now officially moved. This is the day that they moved to Balamone and into their new home. So Matt and Isabel, we welcome you officially to Balamone, and more particularly to the church here at Hebron, and we trust that you will know God's blessing as you settle among us, and that you will find the congregation as lovely as you expected them to be, moving all the way from Scotland to be part of uh, the church here. 
As you know, Dr. Bill Woods went to be with Christ last Monday. Our sister, Mrs. Dennis Strong, went home to glory on Tuesday. I'm just thinking this week that God is calling his people home. And one day, if you know the Lord, he's going to call you home as well. These folks have gone just a little bit before the rest of us. We were speaking about this on Thursday night past, and I, so I don't need to, to really say much more. If you want the fuller uh, tribute that we gave, look at Thursday night's meeting about Dr. Bill Woods with Christ. And this is a beautiful photograph. It was taken not in Acre, not in the Amazon. It looks like the Amazon, but it was taken right here in Balamoni by the late John Curry. An excellent photograph. I have it in my study. It has pride of place there. And what tremendous memories most of us here who knew Bill have of him. That was the same day, and uh, if you know the area, you just might be able to guess where it is. The very first time, 20 years ago, when I visited the land of Brazil, I was introduced to uh, Fred Orr, who is a predecessor of Bill, went out many, many years ago. And what a wonderful story of missionary service that is when we think of our brother Fred Orr and Bill Woods. They're reunited today in glory. And I'm sure they're able to see things more clearly and able to rejoice today in the presence of the Savior and reunited with others that have gone on before. We think of Dory Gunning, James. We think of Hazel Miskimmon. We think of Janet Munn. All these missionaries that we got to know and love who served the Lord in the land of Brazil. These were patients of Bill. We visited the leprosy colony and we, we, we met all these patients. I, I showed quite a few on Thursday, so I'll not go beyond this. This was a wee family that was helped. Uh, Bill Woods had a mother text, as you know, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin, in James chapter 4, verse 17. And Bill did a lot of good, a lot of practical good, as he served the Lord in that land. And this family's home through an accident, burnt down. And Bill was the one that rebuilt the house for them so that they could live there. Always anxious that the gospel would go forth. Everywhere we went when we visited with Bill up the river or into people's homes, into schools, whatever, the gospel was shared and literature was distributed. The second visit that we had was in 2011, and this is when my wife came with me and Ann Davison and Ann I stayed with Tom and Lucy Marr, and my wife and I, we stayed with Bill. Bill didn't normally uh, entertain, but he insisted that we stayed with him. He gave up his bed, uh, and we slept in his room in his bed, and he went down to a little room downstairs. That's, that's the kind of a man that Bill Woods was, and what precious memories we have. Uh, going <clears throat> up the river as well, uh, visiting various patients and people that he got to know. And then the final visit that we had was when Jonathan came, and that's Jonathan waxing eloquently preaching the word to the children in one of the schools that we visited. This here we showed on Thursday night. It's a very interesting photograph because it's two members of staff that Bill Woods worked with. And during the middle visit in 2011, I took this photograph. It's very, very interesting that yesterday... At the funeral service, this doctor, uh, the lady there in the middle, 
was at the funeral service. She has worked with Bill Woods for 40 years, and her daughter lives in Dublin, and she just happened to be visiting her daughter when Bill passed away, and she came up yesterday for the, the funeral service. We had a lovely time talking to them and thinking about Bill in the past. Do we pray for them that even these ladies who, who are lovely women but don't know the Lord, that they might come even through the influence that Bill had upon their lives to know Christ. That is his motto text. There is a memorial service, the life and legacy of Dr. Bill Woods, which will be held on the 3rd of December. The 3rd of December is a Sunday afternoon. Not the best kind of a day for churches like ourselves living at a distance, and this is going to affect so many people that are at a distance. And that's a special day for us because that begins our special meetings in December. But I know that many of you will want to go to this service and I'm making a suggestion to those that might find um, time tight. There's a constraint there. Uh, we certainly want you to be at the meetings on the Lord's Day. I suggest that if you want, bring your lunch to the church here, eat it here, and then we can travel together. I'm sure we'll lay on our minibuses if you want to travel in the minibus, or if you want to take your car, that's fine. But we will get a sheet out. If you want to travel in the minibus, just to make sure that you are catered for. Please continue to pray for those that, that need uh, the touch of the Lord. And we think of Derek McLaughlin. Uh, Derek has recently come to know the Lord as a Savior. Walked into the local spa one day, and uh, there he unburdened uh, his heart to members of staff. And we know that Sharon uh, was very much involved in getting literature to him, and Derek came to trust in the Lord Derek is, is very unwell, and uh, we want you to pray for him. He's down in Antrim Hospital now in Lauren House, Laurel House. Pray for him. Pray for the remembrance service tonight. Pray for the school's ministry. Pray for the ladies' meeting on Wednesday night and Chris's visit to the Youth Fellowship on Friday night. Pray for the election of elders. And then we want you to remember little Emily. Uh, Emily had an accident. This is Emily. Uh, Boschko, and she, she burnt her hand. It's the, the center part. It's the palm of her hand, and it's not healing up very well. She got treatment, and they did what they could for her, but there are some complications, and prayer has been requested for little Emily that you will remember her before the Lord, and then the others in the congregation that we are praying for. Remember the land of Ukraine. Remember the land of Israel. Keep them before the Lord, please. We're going to have our offering for God's work just now. And as we have the offering, do remember to bring our tithes to the Lord into the storehouse as He has promised, claiming the promise of the Lord that He will open the winds of heaven, pour us out a blessing, that there not be room enough to receive it. Malachi 3 and 10. We're going to sing together a debtor to mercy alone. Of covenant mercy I sing, nor fear with his righteousness on my person and offering to bring. We'll keep our seats as the offering is taken.
universe. Let's turn to 1 Timothy, and the chapter 3. By way of preparation for the election uh, to office of the elders, we're having these meetings on Sunday morning. We dealt with the the broad subject of leadership last Lord's Day, the kind of men that we would be seeking to have. And we come now to this uh, chapter of God's Word where we have the qualifications given. <clears throat> in my preaching today, I will not get beyond the opening verse. There's so much in the opening verse just to mention um, that we will not get beyond it. But then, God willing, next Lord's Day, we will get to the actual qualifications that are mentioned here. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. A bishop then must be blameless, a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well in his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. But if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, we're going to read beyond verse 7. Verse 7 brings us to the end of the qualifications that deals with the eldership. But I want to read on just to remind us all the qualifications of the deacon. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith, in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Let me read just a few verses from Titus. It's not what I'm preaching on, but I want you to keep these in mind. These are the passages that you want to be praying over and thinking about as members of the church heading towards the election time. Titus chapter 1 
verse 6. Just going to read down to verse 9. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless, as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. With these scriptures before us, and having read them, let's pray. <coughs> Our Father, we know that we're dealing with solemn things. We're dealing very much with our future as a church. We're dealing with elders that will represent this congregation. We're dealing with an office that is lifelong. And we have the marks of the eldership very clearly spelled out for us in these passages of Scripture. And Lord, as we deal with this subject today and next Lord's Day, continue to enlighten us, continue to guide us, and bring us to the place of choosing according to the mind and the will of God. And so we pray that we'll sit up, we'll listen to what God is saying to our hearts now. Lord, give me the strength and the ability to bring the word I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Very soon, an election to the eldership of this church will take place when the members of this congregation will elect men into office. And so it goes without saying that we ought to be much in prayer before the Lord in these days and to seek the guidance of the Lord in order to help us make the proper and the wise choice. God has given to us guidelines in His Word. And we have read these guidelines today. These two passages of Scripture contain God's plan for church government. And there are two offices in the church, as we know. We have the elder looking after the spiritual side of things. We have the deacon looking after the temporal matters of the church. And Paul discusses these two offices when writing to young Timothy. He outlines the qualifications of the bishop or the elder, it's the same office, from verse 2 to verse 7 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And then he proceeds to talk about the office of the deacon in the other verses from verse 8 onwards. We're going to deal with the first of these two offices because that's what our election is about, the office of the bishop or the elder. Now, within the office there is a two-fold distinction. There's the ruling elder, and there is the teaching elder, and it is a, a distinction of function. You go over to the chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, and, and just Mark verse 17, it says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So there are elders that rule, and they ought to rule well, and then there are elders among those men who are those who labor in the word and doctrine. 
who teach the Word of God, whose responsibility it is to do what I'm doing today and to stand in the pulpit as ministers and as pastors. So let's think about what the Lord is saying to us just in this opening verse of 1 Timothy and the chapter 3, it's verse 1. I want you to think about the admission to the office. Who was admitted? And I'm just going in a very simple way to ask you to underscore the word man. It's a man that is admitted to this office. It seems a very simple thing to point this out, but it's necessary in the days in which we're living. Paul has just been teaching that women are not to hold positions of spiritual or doctrinal authority in the church of Jesus Christ. If you glance back to the previous chapter, chapter 2, and just mark with me verse 9 through to verse 13, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. The great apostle is declaring uh, two important things about women here in these verses that I've just read to you. One is modesty, modesty in their apparel, what they wear, and the other is submission, the submission to authority. He outlines how Christian women are supposed to dress, especially when they come to the house of God, and how they are to learn in silence submission. Now, the, the silence here is not total silence as some incorrectly teach. There are people who say women should not have any voice at all in the church, and they should never be up at the front, and they should never teach in any capacity. But I wanted to note that the same word is translated peaceable in verse 2, uh, for example, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable. That's the same word there, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And so the idea is that they are to speak without contention. You could say that women are to, to learn in quietness and to show submission instead of contention. Some have suggested that women in this culture, back in Bible times especially, they would have, have sat separately from the men as in some cultures today. You go to Africa, the women sit on one side of the church, the men sit on the other. You go to some churches in Romania and some other parts of the world, and it is exactly the same. And so the thought is that women were not to interrupt the service by shouting over to their husbands who were likely sitting on the other side of the church. The word submission here literally means to be under rank. It has to do with respecting and acknowledging God's order of authority. It certainly does not mean that men are more spiritual than women or that women are inferior in any way to men. One of our Bible commentators said this, anyone who has served in the armed forces know that rank 
has nothing to do, ha, sorry, has to do with order and authority, not with value or ability. Just as an army would be in confusion if there were no levels of authority, so society would be in chaos without submission. And this all leads up to what Paul states in verse 12 of chapter 2. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Paul's meaning is clear. Women are not to have the role of teaching authority in the church. Paul is saying that the church should not recognize women as having authority regarding matters of doctrine and spiritual interpretation. It does not mean that they should never speak or teach at all. What it does mean is that it must be done in submission to the men that God has appointed to lead the church. Chapter 3, therefore, follows on very nicely in the same theme. It talks about a man, a man desiring the office of a bishop or an elder or a pastor, as the case might be. The office of the elder and of the deacon, as we see in this passage, belongs to men. The elder is the husband of one wife, verse 2. The deacon is also the husband of one wife, verse 12. So I'm just pointing out we're talking about men here. On the list, eligible to be voted for are just men. You've probably seen that. Secondly, I want to think about the aspiration to the office, and we have it here in the word desire. The office can be desired. There is nothing particularly wrong with a man desiring to be an elder or a pastor. It's the same office. He might feel in his heart that God is calling him to such. I felt that way when God was calling me to preach the Word, and I was convinced in my heart that He wanted me to be a minister, that He wanted me to be an elder, a teaching elder within the church. But of course, the, the seal of what any man feels in his heart to be the mind of God is being elected by the people. And this is so for the minister. I can say I desire to be a teaching elder, I desire to be a minister, but if a church does not call me to be such, well then eh, there's no seal to that particular calling in my life. And it's not for me, therefore. And it's the same with the elder. Of course, the motives in desiring the office ought to be right, not desiring the office to have position or authority or prominence or power. We read about a man called Diotrephes who loved the place of prominence. It was the beloved John who wrote about this man in 3 John and verses 9 and 10. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. 
So any desire to be an elder ought to be a humble one, not seeking for self-exaltation, but for the furtherance of the gospel, the glory of God, and the good of the church. You remember Jesus said, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And there was a very sad occurrence which took place just after the institution of the Lord's Supper. We have sometimes referred to this, and one of the gospel writers that referred to it is, is Luke himself. A spirit of disunity arose in the hearts of the disciples concerning position and prominence. Luke chapter 22 and verse 24. There was also a strife among them, among the disciples, which of them should be accounted the greatest. I've always felt it's a very sad thing when this kind of matter rises after such a solemn event. Remember, the Lord has instituted the communion. This is my body. This is my blood. He's leading them to Calvary. He's giving them an institution so that they could remember his death at the cross. And, and yet, just after that solemn moment, sitting at the table with the Lord, this, this strife arises among the disciples of the Lord. Now, how did Christ deal with it? Well, for one thing, in verse 27, he said, For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. And he uses himself as an example. Very Lord and Master, he says, I, I'm a servant among you. This is the way that I want you as my disciples to conduct yourselves. And just by the way, the humble man will be able to accept the result of an election. We believe in, in democracy. We believe in the biblical guidelines. And we are to look out from among us such men as should occupy the office of the elder. But we must also accept the outcome, the providence of God, indeed the will of God. Church office, and I want to say this, although it's a very sacred office to be an elder of the church, church office is not the end all and be all. There are many different ways in which the Christian can serve the Lord. Many, many profitable ways, hundreds of things that we can do. In fact, the Lord says that we are many members. You know, He uses the illustration of the body, the Bible does. We're many members. And we haven't got the same office, the same function, but we all have a work to do. And it's very interesting what you read at the end of the Acts of the Apostles and the chapter 1 and verse 23 to verse 26, because the apostles appointed two men, Joseph called Barsippus, who was surnamed Justice and uh, Matthias, and they prayed and said, Thy Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, 
that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Whether the disciples did the right thing and went about this matter the right way and doing it by lots is a subject that is open for debate. But the interesting thing is that the lot fell upon Matthias and he took the place, you may say, of Judas Iscariot. But you never read about him again in the Bible, not once. And yet the other man who was not uh, selected on that occasion, you do read about him in the Scriptures. So I'm just saying, by the way, to be an elder or even a deacon in the church is not the end all and the be all. There's a wonderful work for all of us to do. I want you to think about the authority of the office, and, and it's right here in the word bishop. It, it literally means an overseer. It comes from the Greek word episcopus, and the word epi means over, and the word scopio, taking it in the verb, rendering is to look or to watch. So what is a bishop? What is a, an elder? He's, he's one that watches over, looks after the congregation. The same word is used in, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That's the word bishop. Overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Bishop and elder refer to exactly the same office. In Acts chapter 20, Paul was speaking to the elders of the Ephesian church. In verse 17, we're told that from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and he, he called the elders of the church. And then he goes on to tell them, God has made you overseers. God has made you bishops of the Ephesian church. The term bishop or overseer therefore demonstrates authority which God has given to men who occupy this office. And they are to watch over the flock. And this they do in the light of the judgment day when they shall give an account. It's a very solemn thing. Think of the words that we, we read in Hebrews chapter 13 and, and verse 17. For we are brought to the day of judgment, at least the elder is. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. Coming a day when ministers and elders will give an account as to how they have exercised the office to which the Lord brought them into. <coughs> so the office of the elder is a solemn word. It's not, not to be taken lightly. The appointment to this office is not so much made by men. No members of the congregation will, will cast their, their vote. That's obvious. No, it's made by God. <coughs> when Paul was addressing the, the Ephesian elders, he said, the Holy Ghost have made you overseers. In other words, it's the Holy Ghost that established them. It was God's sovereign choice. And though this is God's appointment, he, he works through the local church whose responsibility it is to choose these men for office. You may be asked the question, how can this be? If God says <coughs> who should exercise rule over the church, 
How do the members of the congregation therefore make the choice? Well, the answer is God qualifies men with special gifts, but the church must learn how to recognize these qualities, these qualifications, and then set those men by the appointment of God into office. God has given strict guidelines that we might be helped, and that's the qualifications that we're going to look at next Lord's Day. A congregation must study carefully the the life of its members and ascertain solemnly before God who are equipped for the office. The government and the oversight of the church is, is committed to these men who act on behalf of God. They exercise a position of rulership and authority. And that is clearly brought out in the Scripture. In 1 Timothy 3, we'll, we'll come to see this, verses 4 and 5. Uh, the text will be mentioned in verse 17 of chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, in the opening two verses. Elders are responsible for, for guarding the gates of the visible church. They exercise the keys of the kingdom of heaven for binding and loosing, as we read in Matthew 18, verse 18. So therefore, this session is the court of the church. Decisions are made. They're made before God. And when they're made before God by godly men, they are ratified in heaven. Their decision, therefore, is to be respected. Session members must give sound judgment without partiality or favor as those who are directly answerable to Christ. Church members must have respect for the authority of the church and submit themselves in the Lord to the government that God himself has ordained in the church. The elder is to watch. Watch for your soul and seek for the grace of God to guide. And then I want you to think about the activity of the office. You want to mark the word work. Being an elder or in any leadership position of the church is not merely about titles and honor and glory. It's about work. Now, Jesus said, whosoever of you will be chiefest, whosoever of you desire to be chiefest, we could put there, shall be servant of all. And it's very interesting that the word servant is bond, slave. That's what the word means. And that was on the occasion when two disciples wanted to have the chief position. You remember that foolishly? We, we dealt with it in our study in Mark's gospel. James and John came to the Lord, grant unto us, they said, that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in, uh, left hand in thy glory. We, we want to be the big chiefs. And Jesus denied them that. He simply said, it's not for me to give. But rather, he said to them, if you want to be chief, if you want to be great, if you want to be first, be the servant. Be the servant of all. And that is work. This is in keeping with the church office, and here particularly the elder. The office is not for idle men. Men who occupy this office are, are workers in the local church. 
taking an active part in all that is going on. This is so whether we are a ruling elder or a teaching elder, a man who is not prepared to work is not fit for the office. And this means finding time to serve the Lord, to take responsibility, to attend meetings, to be much in leadership when it comes to to faithfulness and prayerfulness and involvement. I, I expect all the elders of the church to be at the regular church meetings. We expect that. And they know that, and, and they, the ones that we have, they, they fulfill their duty and their responsibility. How can you expect an ordinary member of the church to be faithful whenever leadership is not setting the example? And this is so for the teaching elder. Ministers, ministers must not be lazy. They must be men of the second mile. There's a lot of work in the ministry whether it's study or prayer or visiting, in all the meetings, having an involvement where possible, I've sought by the grace of God to be that kind of pastor. And I try to get involved in, in every meeting, Sabbath day, prayer meetings, youth meetings, children's meetings, among the seniors, at the open air, the outreach work. The ladies' fellowship is probably the one I don't really go to. I'm sometimes asked to go and pray but for obvious reasons, I, I'm, I'm not um, going to be there. It's the ladies' meeting, and that's the way it ought to be. And perhaps the, the, the tots on a Monday morning too. I, I like to show my face from time to time. But I will, by the grace of God, seek to lead our church, by example. And to lead them not only locally, but in the Great Commission at home and abroad, being fully involved where we can. The great C.H. Spurgeon said, what is the use of a lazy minister? He is no good either to the world, to the church, to himself. He is a dishonor to the noblest profession that can be bestowed upon the sons of men. So there is the activity of the office, the elders to be a worker. And then just to conclude with, there's the approval of the office. It's a good work. It's a good work. Might be a hard work, but it's a good work. The idea is not good for you, that you desire or, or want to have a place of spiritual leadership. No, the elder is dealing with good things and has the opportunity to do good to other people, especially in the local church. We're dealing with the extension of God's kingdom. We're caring for the souls of men, their salvation and their eternal well-being. We are looking after those whom Christ himself has purchased with his own precious blood, and we're ruling over God's inheritance here on earth, and that's what makes it good. And so to the congregation, to our members today, please mark this opening verse. Even before we come to the actual qualifications, this is a true saying. If a man desired the office of a bishop, an overseer, an elder, he desireth a good work. Think upon these things. Pray over them. And may the Lord direct your way in eight days' time. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clear direction that it gives. We thank you that we're not left to ourselves to, to make these decisions, but God has given us guidance. He's given us his word. And by the inspiration of God, Paul writes. He writes to Timothy. He writes to Titus. And he spells out what men in office ought to be. And Lord, as we seek by the grace of God to look out among us elders for this church, we pray that you'll direct our way and help us, Lord, to think about your word and help us, Lord, to make our decisions upon your word. And we pray that the right man will be brought, the right men will be brought into office for Jesus' sake. Amen. It's a lovely little hymn. It's not particularly in keeping with what I've been preaching on, but I was thinking about this for the service as we close today. Jesus himself drew near. We're very conscious that that there are people in the church that are struggling, people that are going through difficulty. Just like the two disciples on the road to a mess, they walked that day with a heavy heart. I know that there are people here, whether it's through sorrow or sickness or suffering or some other trial, and you're walking with a heavy heart today. But the wonderful thing is this for the believer. In such times, Jesus himself draws near as he did to the two on the road to a mess. And that's what the hymn is about. And may you today who are struggling know what it is to have the Lord drawing near to you. Stand to sing. Father, this is our prayer, even as your people leave the house of God today, that Jesus himself will draw near and go with them.
bless them, cheer them, encourage them. We pray that you'll continue to write your word upon our hearts. And as we think even this afternoon about these things, Lord, draw near to us as we sit at our tables, have our meals, as we sit in quiet contemplation just wherever we are and speak to our hearts. Lord, tonight as we come again for the remembrance service, let the Lord be here. Let his presence and his power be known. And Lord, do a work of eternal grace in the hearts of all. For Jesus' sake. Amen.